0: Are you a fan of the small ball? I'm not as dramatic as, as GM. Dramatic? <laughs> you sound
1: like my wife now.
0: Jealous of all the inside analysis and crack on the football pod? Well, we've got you covered
1: with the Hurling Pod. Subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor. With exfoliating bar. All right,
2: bang on half seven. You're very welcome along. It's Tuesday morning. It's OTBAM, AM. It's and on with you all the way through until ten AM. Let's be having you. You can get us on our YouTube stream. Hopefully, you've already subscribed to youtube.com forward slash off the ball. If you haven't, pressed the button now. Uh, you can also tweet us at off the ball AM or whatever. However, you want to get in touch with us. You know the you know the drill by this stage. Oh, and good morning to you. Good morning, Jern. It's um, it's Matt Doherty's world, and Seamus Coleman is just living in it at the moment. Mm. What um, That was a grimace for is, radio listeners. Is, is he looking across and going, oh, you, you weren't playing great for a while and so I can also make a recovery from this?
3: Uh, you, you think Coleman is looking Enviously at Matt Doherty? Thinking at Matt Doherty that?
2: Going, like four weeks ago, we
3: thought you were getting burned out of that club and now, yeah. now you're Harry Kane's creator-in-chief. Yeah, uh, there's obviously one complication in that argument and that is Coleman's age, isn't it? Uh, Doherty was... Not always likely to make a comeback. I didn't think that many people thought that the comeback was going to happen at Tottenham. Definitely not. Um, and also as well, you're looking at Matt Doherty, who is 30 years of age now himself. So uh, there was a, a chance that maybe he could have also been going through a, a sort of a downturn. But I think last, It sounded last like night, they were trying to
2: offload him in the transfer window. It sounded like he was part of that group of four who they did get rid of and they would have been happy to add him to it and Conte would have whined about it afterwards but been like well uh, no big deal but actually what's happened is he is part of the
3: He is a symbol of the reflowering of the Antonio Conte era. Yeah, yeah. And I think what it probably speaks to is behind the scenes that Matt Doherty can take what Antonio Conte is throwing at him. Because even, not behind the scenes, when Antonio Conte is in front of a microphone and talking about his team, he hasn't really pulled any punches. Even last night, he was saying that we must get better after winning a game 5-0. Like, he is a very, very tough taskmaster. And Matt Doherty's been able to handle it. He's been somebody that he's been trusted uh, to do a job, obviously, pulled himself into midfield positions last night and looked like Kevin De Bruyne at times, (laughs) which was just uh, not something that I think too many people would have seen coming because it is quite different to uh, how his peak materialised at Wolves when he was very much uh, a wide uh, player who wasn't cutting in as a a wing-back but hugging the touchline, getting crosses in and uh, was part of that all-action game under Nuno. This was much more calm and uh, methodical, and showing just his his technical capabilities as much as his uh, capabilities as an athlete. When I mean, you've got Harry Kane as your target man up front, it helps. It, it, do, it does help, but you've also got a some of the goals have scored recently have been spectacular. And like they they really are when they're on it. They they look sensational at the moment You still feel that there is a, a chance of them slipping up in various fixtures. Obviously, this Saturday for them is a massive game. It's half past five uh, themselves against Manchester United. So that's going to be sort of who has had the biggest slip this season. You'd have to say Manchester United uh, really are, are the ones who'd be vulnerable in that fixture. But it's Tottenham. Um, which I'm sure will be part of the build up well I mean yeah they Ralph Aniak
2: won't be walking in going lads as Tottenham he'll be like <laughs> definitely they'll be like oh yeah shit they're going to beat us aren't they um, Michael Keane's finish was the best of the of the oh, lot though God. last night <laughs> it was like <coughs> are we more sensitive to the mention of Seamus Coleman in that seven minute surgical taking apart that Carrier did afterwards because he, he actually he did also go to town on Keane who he talked about Harry Kane running past him. Mm. And Harry Kane not being a sprinter. Harry Kane's still pretty fast, you know. I'd say he would have I'd say he would have absolutely creamed Carragher in a sprint as well. Like, you know, uh this bit of the the pundit suddenly um never having any flaws themselves is like it's I just I do wonder so he he obviously he took Coleman out. He took Keane out. Took he took all their defense out. Are we more sensitive to the fact that Coleman is um Because he's our captain. Yes, of course we are. But did we... Like, you know, it was a systems failure. I did think that, like...
3: They were all terrible. Yeah, like, I mean, Seamus Coleman, one thing is that uh, he's he's definitely not, not smart. He's always been a very intelligent footballer. His positioning's always been very good. And last night... He looked out of position quite a bit and uh, got caught with the ball going in. He got caught in the overlap just multiple times, uh, which if you're an aging defender, you probably don't let yourself get into that position a lot. So I wonder if it was a tactical instruction. But I, I do think that I mean, if, if Frank Lampard wants to play a, a certain style of football uh, and Seamus Coleman isn't up to it as an athlete anymore to to be able to produce that, then he is going to be in trouble, and that's the reality. That's just the way this goes. Yeah, he is club captain though, and
2: yeah, and you but you don't play the the front two or front now three-ish that Spurs have every week. Like, there's going to be a lot of games where he can play on the right side of a, a three and be fine,
3: you know. Uh, the, the, yeah, there's a bit, bit more protection for him. Like, I, I, I do think that, uh, that this conversation has obviously happened quite a bit about Coleman and um, just because he has... Proved people wrong in the past doesn't mean he's going to do it again. Especially given how how things will go in your mid thirties. So uh, I think he's maybe. in his early thirties. He's only thirty three. So, okay, yeah. You're fair. going to learn
2: this is important as time goes on. Yeah,
3: no, it is. That, that's, that's the fair cop. You're in your uh, late twenties now, are you? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, uh, I mean, it does. Like I mean, my pace was long gone. Uh, so like even if you're thinking about who would be the the potential Irish options it's kind of like one in one out with uh, what Stephen Kenny's looking at with Oma Bamadeli out and Daryl O'Shea in and um, O'Shea came came into the team
2: but was out of the team again. Yeah.
3: So he was. Out I mean, last a fi- week. I mean, fitness-wise. Yeah, but just
2: in, in terms of actually playing football at the moment, yeah. he's not. He's not first choice at the moment at club
3: level. Yeah, yeah, which is a, a little bit of a concern. And I mean, well, they got beaten at the weekend, so maybe he gets back in. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, like, and it's, it's. Uh, I guess a, it's a different setup as well. If you're going to have Coleman on the right of a three, and and possibly um, somebody else on at uh, right wing back. Like, I mean, uh, Matt Hardy obviously has been excellent for Ireland at left wing back, and. I think it's probably shown last night that he is a bit more versatile in in that position just in front of your backline whether it's a 3 or a or a 4 that he can he can play in those uh, positions um but for Everton like I mean it's it's such a worrying situation that they're in like a championship defense is obviously how Carragher described them last night and they just desperately need to get Yerry Mina and ben, God- ben Godfrey back uh ASAP and hope that they stay back and and get them through this situation I think it's eight of their remaining games are at home which is obviously the big thing For a narrative perspective would you rather Burnley stay up or Everton stay up? Burnley from a narrative perspective Everton going down would be extraordinary and what would happen to the club then would be uh, very very interesting and um, whether or not they can use this as some sort of I don't think like, there isn't really a great example of a team who've gone down and come back up and used that as like a rocket ship unless they've got like Saudi investment. So, um, and the, even that is yet to be confirmed just yet. But, like, I don't, I can't see a world where everything going down would, would be good news for them, even in the me- medium term.
2: All right. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. We're going to speak with Ali Donnelly about the Irish rugby situation. Gary Brennan's is going to join us at 10 past eight to talk about the merger between the LGFA, the Camogie Association and the GAA. The sports pages at half eight. We'll talk with John Duggan about um, Spurs and virtual insanity. Pearl Slattery is going to join us at 8.40. The return of the WSL last week. Uh, she scored the winner for Shells to get their season up and running. We've got um, Phil Egan in at ten past nine and Danny Mills and Pat Nevin talking Everton and Manchester United later on in the show. If you want to get in touch, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. But to the uh, report into the failure of the Irish women's team to qualify for the Rugby World Cup. I'm delighted to say Ali Donnelly is with us of Scrum Queens. Ali, good morning to you. How are you getting
4: on? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: So last Friday, the report dropped, and uh, it's fair to say that it was generally positively received. Um, I did think a few things about it were were odd, which we might get to in a few minutes. But what was your... You've you've had a a weekend to digest this, and you've written about this in the Examiner, five key takeaways. Um, On balance, you seem to think it was a, a, a step forward but it's proceed with caution, I think. Is is that fair assessment of your takeaways? Ten- yeah, I,
4: I think a cautious welcome is probably the right way to look at this. And, you know, if you, looked, if you took some time to look through the recommendations, they were, in some ways, almost underwhelming in that they were so basic and so simple and they're sort of the kind of things you would expect to already be up and running and well-established within a high-performance programme, which, you know, is supposed to be there to get the best out of players. So... You know, in some ways you could say, oh, actually all they're doing are the nuts and bolts they should have been doing. But in another way, the, many of those things weren't happening. And so the fact that they are now, plus there's a commitment of of you know important new investment. Um plus I think the change in tone from the IRFU felt to me very important. I, I you know, Kevin Potts struck a very um conciliatory tone in the press conference that he did, and also you've seen the words that he he issued. So I do think we can look forward fairly positively to a new era in the game there. Um, while also kind of watching on to make sure that all these things do happen.
2: How how is an audit of that ongoing? Like one of the things that was was seems to have happened is that the the players have accepted that them. The good faith, rather, of, of the organisation has been accepted by the players. So who's going to keep a watching brief? Because when their players were at a bit of a remove or when they had the former players to be mouthpieces for them, that felt like there was a, at least going to be some kind of um, checks and balances in the system. How do we just make sure that this doesn't, it's not window dressing, the report isn't shelved, they go back to the old ways and everybody moves on with their lives. How, does that, how do we prevent that happening?
4: Yeah, well, I think that is what happened in 2017. So after the failure at the last World Cup to get out of their pool, you know, a whole new set of targets were published a year later, all of which I think almost all of them um, haven't been met because nobody really understood what lay behind that. How are you going to achieve that? What do the players know about where you're going? Whereas this time, I think you do have, um, they published a progress report alongside it so you could see, you know, what targets that are, what recommendations were already in train. And we had a promise from Kevin Potts that there would be an implementation plan published. There's also another review coming later this year, which is looking at the whole game. So presumably it's around, you know, how you get more women into grassroots, how you link those things up along a pathway. So I think this does feel a little different. Um, you know, yes, of course, like, you know, there are cynics and I, I've definitely been one of those in the past around the IRFU's ability to deliver for women and girls Um, so I think we've got to keep hold of that but I I also think hopefully those four players who've been involved in the discussions and maybe joined by others can stay involved they seem to have built a good relationship now with various people at Sport Ireland in government and at the IRFU and and I think it would be foolish to the IRFU not to use them as a You know, a kind of consultation group or a sounding board, etc.
2: The the main sporting bodies, and I'm talking about the big three the FAI, the GA, and the IRFU always like to keep Sport Ireland at as uh, at least an arm's length remove, and even further if possible. They'll take the the funding and they'll make sure that that happens, but they don't want any interference or any sense of like what what do why you this is none of your business. This is our organisation, and yet it feels like Sport Ireland through the are essentially the mouthpiece for the government, and the government have been very strong on female representation on committees and all that kind of stuff. So it feels like the IRFU really, really need the women's game to take off. They need the influx of female coaches, administrators and extra players who they can, you know, generate revenue from and sell tickets to and sell merchandise for. And the penny, that penny hasn't quite dropped. It certainly hasn't dropped with the other organisations too. And we're going to talk about the, the merger in the GAA in about 20 minutes. But why is that, do you think, Ali?
4: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think on the first bit around the influence and the importance of Sport Ireland ministers, you know, the players wrote the letter to the ministers for a reason. You know, they felt that they tried to make change internally for years and nothing was happening. So they knew that, you know, go, going almost over the head of the IRFU, which is essentially what that was, and, you know, getting some public pressure via TVs and so on in in government around funding would help. Um, I think in terms of women's rugby, like I can't speak for the other sports there, but... There, the penny has dropped in other countries, and, and, and the penny is that, you know, the dropping is that understanding that if you're a national governing body, you know, part of your job, among many others, and I don't think NGBs have it easy to be honest, um, but part of your job is to recruit players into your sport. And the most kind of single, most important strategic area of participation growth in almost every country, particularly the established nations, is women. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you in, in London, and, I, I, you know, for all their flaws, I know there are, are a few over the years. Um, they have now understood that a bit quicker than Ireland, and they've put, you know, they've made women, women and girls rugby um, a strategic priority. And you can see the difference here. Now they always have an inbuilt advantage in terms of numbers here, um, but the penny hasn't dropped amongst everybody involved in women's rugby or rugby in Ireland. It might now have at the at the top of the game, um, but you know, Kevin Potts has got a hard job. He's got to almost bring his whole organisation and all the volunteers around the game with him and say you know, we need the growth of of women and girls rugby because one of my jobs is to make sure the games in root health at grassroots level and all the numbers, all the big numbers are coming from this part of the game. And then the other end of it, just to finish off, is there's a massive opportunity in terms of longer term return on your investment. So, you know, where are the new TV deals being struck and where are we likely to get more and different sponsorship investment? Well, that's a women's game at the highest level. So, you know, organisations would be foolish to ignore that, I think, in the long run.
3: Obviously, the full details of the report haven't been published. But if you look at the recommendations, you can probably read between the lines as to what was included in the report. And some of the things here like just really uh, going through just some random uh, uh, episodes within this. create and constantly monitor a value driven culture and environment based on performance, learning and enjoyment is one of the recommendations. Another one uh, is put deliberate attention on the fitness, strength and conditioning of front five players in the system. I think what that suggests is that that hadn't been done and that was recommended within the report or mentioned within the report. And I think some of those details uh, may actually be shocking to people if that report was ever brought to light about some of the things that weren't being done within the system.
4: Definitely. And I think the thing to say, if you're not a women's rugby kind of follower, is that the women's game has moved on massively uh, since the last World Cup. And Ireland have stood still. And if those things were missing, I'm sure some of them, some of those were there and some guys, but not clearly at the level they should have been, otherwise Amanda Bennett and her team wouldn't have felt the need to black and white put them in there, Um, then they were going to fall behind. I mean, if you look at Scotland, who are the team, I guess, who leapfrogged Ireland and and secured that last place at the World Cup later this year, they did a quite innovative thing a few years back, and they gave a bunch of players what they call 2021 contracts, which were, you know, that's in contracts for not the be all and end all, but they identified, we need to do something different here to try and qualify for the next World Cup, and we need to put in place some you know, interesting high-performance ideas um, to do that. And, you know, that, wasn't, that sort of thinking wasn't happening there. Um, and it's going to have to change because there's only a three-year window now to the next World Cup. I don't know what the qualification path's going to look like. But Ireland's going to have to be at that World Cup. It looks like it's going to be here in England. Um, and so there's not much of a window now for error. And, and they've got to try and play catch-up, even with nations that they would expect to normally beat, the Scotland, Wales and Italy's of this world. Um, so, be really interesting Six Nations this year just for that perspective alone.
2: One of the um, other things we, we had Hannah Terrell on the show yesterday, and she was talking about her decision to step away was like uh, she was always going to step away at the end of the last World Cup. But just talking about the difficulty that some of the players have in mixing the um, career path that they want with outside of rugby with the career path inside rugby, and how difficult it is to juggle those. That that is going to be an issue for the IRFU is that where the extra million needs to go in the short term or is the extra million actually better spent on coaches and pathways to make sure that the long term we produce players who are ready for the international game and hope that the sponsorship catches up and that pays the players I, I, it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario I'm interested in your view on that given your proximity to what's going on in England and you kind of have a, a good sense of what's happening in the other unions as well
4: Yeah I don't think you can put contracts in place without the nuts and bolts um, underneath it and, and I think there's some people who are quite concerned in Wales, where there are a lot of, um, you know, um, structures and processes missing around the pathways and the grassroots, and they've kind of come in over the top of that and handed players contracts. And that's going to be an interesting kind of story to watch. I, I think inevitably, if you want to keep up and you want to win things and you want to be in the sort of back in the top four in the world of Ireland were once in, of course, you are going to have to at some point bite the bullet and look at contracts. Now they may be hybrid contracts, which are a balance between sort of paying your players on a part-time basis, allowing them to continue with their careers or full time as England have gone. Because you know, even since twenty seventeen, more and more countries are looking at this. New Zealand have gone fully pro this year. Um, which if you if you've been following the game for a long time, the NZ or have traditionally not invested significantly in their national team. They used to just win anyway. So that's a big move. France are obviously paying players, Scotland has started to do it, Wales has started to do it. So Eventually, you're going to have to look at that and, and probably go down that path because it's going to be too hard to keep up and you're going to be competing in second tier um, rugby. And if, you know, if that's acceptable, fine. If it's not, and I suspect it isn't for Ireland, um, that's something they're going to have to look at. But the other bits of the jigsaw have to be in place first.
3: It does seem that the IRFU maybe have been caught by surprise with how quickly the game has accelerated.
4: Yeah and if you know, if you're not taking the time to look around you and to explore what's happening in other countries and and really kind of you know ha- have the insight and knowledge about how to make high performance sport work for women then that's what's going to happen and I think it's clear from these recommendations that all of those things weren't happening, <laughs> and so it, it can't be a surprise really that they've fallen behind um, other countries. And, and I think it's important that, therefore, that Kevin was the front of all of this. I think he clearly understood that. You know, I, as the chief executive, have to lead this and own it because the trickle down effect of that is massive. And, and hopefully, you know, we do start to see that sort of change creeping in over the next year or so. Uh,
2: you, you did make the point that he—he um, he, it does sound like the IRFU are a new voice on this. I am definitely cynical about the fact that somebody who was so centrally involved in the operations of the IRFU is now fronting this and I hope that it's a change but um, you know, it's not somebody who has come in from the outside and immediately diagnosed problems, it's somebody who's, who's been there the whole time and who was the chief operations officer and so you know would have should have known about this and should in the past have been able to influence the outcome so uh, that's one of the reasons why i think we definitely need to keep a a close eye on this
4: yeah i think that's a very fair point because it's inconceivable that he would not have been aware of some of the challenges around the program and he might not have been as in-depth involved as as others in the senior leadership team there Um, but curiosity alone i think would Dictate that you would understand the problem, so I think that's fair enough. But I do think you have to take what they announced last week at some face value. And you know, I've spoken to a lot of the players, and they they were pretty impressed with him um, and the way that he conducted himself and the commitment that he's shown. So, you know, all all you can do there is sort of say, well, if they're happy, then you know, let's move forward with some positivity. And I think you know, Fiona Copeland said it herself on television the other night. We've got to start looking forward. We spend a lot of time looking backwards in the Irish women's game, and, and sort of. You know, becoming annoyed and angry at what hasn't happened, and um, yeah, I think it's up to everyone involved in the game, stakeholders and the media included in that, to continue to hold, um, you know, the RFU to account and hold their feet to the fire on whether they actually deliver what oh, they said they would.
2: One last point on this, then: um, the the actual high performance director of the RFU wasn't part of the press conference announcing this, which which did feel strange as well. So maybe. A divorce between um, David Nusifor's responsibility and whoever is coming in to to run the women's game isn't necessarily a bad thing and and maybe having separate performance directors for the men's and women's game is the direction this needs to go I'm just not sure about why the high performance director wasn't there to discuss the high performance or the, the failings in the high performance unit with respect to the women's team
4: Yeah, I think that's a fair point, too. (laughs) I suspect the CEO felt that, you know, for this to be seen as real serious change, that he needed to front it. But I do think whoever is uh, kind of running the women's game on a day to day and whoever they report into have got to believe in all the things that we've just talked about so that it is a strategic area of priority. I don't know uh, David and I don't know his position on all of this, but he certainly has to buy into this or it won't work.
3: What was your read on the timing of the Anthony Eddy uh, departure?
4: i honestly, you know, not involved enough behind the scenes to hazard a guess at what actually happened there. But, you know, I, I think his position in the Irish Women 15s programme was un, untenable um, and inevitable that he would have moved on from that. Looks like he's decided to, to leave himself. Um, look, my understanding of, of Anthony is that he's he's a fantastic coach um, and perhaps, you know, was given far too big a job and inevitably focused on one area and sevens over 15s probably looks to me like what he decided to do. Um, you know, they've got a, you know, they've got people in there now who are given the right time and resources to do the job properly. And hopefully that's what we're going to see.
2: Ali, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. You should check out scrumqueens.com for more on women's rugby. That's Ali Donnelly, who founded Scrum Queens. OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And Mark says, Good morning, lads. I lasted about 20 minutes of that Spurs versus Everton game last night. If Everton managed to find three teams worse than them in the league this season, they will completely have looked out. Sometimes like, you need to be a lucky manager as opposed to a good manager, and there's no evidence
3: yet that Frank Lampard is a good manager. Uh, no, uh, the, like, are we going to revise the "everything are too good to go down" um, theory at this point? Like, I mean, if you if you come back to what Carragher was saying last night, I didn't think they were too good to go down. Like was,
2: we're all, he's saying, Dominic Calvert Lewin's from When was Dominic Calvert
3: Lewin good? it a mean, while. I like last season, but I, I mean, I was just about to say, like, he's saying that the it's the championship level of defense that's costing them, and I mean when you lose 5 nil of course that's uh, it's, it's he's not wrong but I wonder if that attack is getting off with a little bit of a lack of criticism itself because like, it, like Calvert-Loon was amazing last year and I ever heard John in the office John Duggan in the office saying zero shots on target last night yeah uh, like but Calvert-Lewin hasn't come back from his injury troubles anywhere near the player that he looked last uh, last season, and um, it's potentially to, a one-season wonder. Like possibly, but also you've got a very limited window between now and the end of the season. Like this is in August. Like the, the the form lines have been kind of etched out pretty clearly at this point, and for Calvert-Lewin to come good at this point, he's going to have to do it very very quickly. The same with Richarlison at this point, who like I mean has been an excellent player. Don't Nathan's, get me wrong, Nathan's buddy. Like I mean, in the build-up to this game, like he'd been telling us that he had informed Frank Lampard that centre forward is now his preferred position. He scored four goals in the Premier League this season, I think. So it's, uh, I think that night against Arsenal, maybe been he was offside uh, a couple of times, was possibly his best showing for for Everton this season. I just, I, I like. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that that attack is is all it's cracked up to be. But then again, it's not cracked up to be much. It's just not a championship level attack. Maybe it's just a championship level defense. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the uh, enigma midfield of, of someone like Donny Van der Beek, who's getting paid handsomely by the club. Of course, who took on a, a lot of the the wages uh, of of Van der Beek, all his wages. Uh, sorry, I should say. Do they?
2: Are we sure about that? Are we sure Man United didn't say here we'll pay half? Are we sure? I, I, like I, mean, I, I, I mean, I'd mean, i love to see the actual... When
3: Football Leaks publishes the documents. We we will find out what uh, what actually happened here on the situation. Like, yeah, I, I mean, just kind of on a tangent to, to last night a little bit, you've got to admire, like, how headstrong Antonio Conte is at times. like, And uh, sometimes you can say stuff before a game and you're like, why, why would I even say that? Because that could just come back to bite me in the ass. And he was obviously asked about uh, like Deli Alley and he said, I don't remember a player that when he went away came back with a great spirit of revenge. During my coaching, I always try to be honest with the players and give them the possibility to show them that they deserve to play. I don't remember a player that had their revenge with me. What usually happens is that when players went away, they went down, not up. And I mean... Antonio Conte is uh, for, for, like I mean I, I, he would think that maybe he would have been uh, jinxing himself in a in a negative sense uh, at that point but um, yeah he came off the bench uh, yesterday Dele Alli's not, uh, not starting at the moment for them and I think Frank Lampard's still trying to work out what his best 11 is but as I say it's the eighth of March. Like, I mean, he's got to figure this thing out very, very quickly. Like, you'd suspect that their Goodison form maybe the thing that keeps them up, and they do have a lot of um, games at home coming up. Like Wolves and Newcastle at home, I think are their are their next two fixtures. So we'll know a lot more after the end of those two games. Calvert-Lewin
2: started the season really well. Scored three goals in three games back in August. Yeah, back in August twenty twenty one. Yeah, hasn't scored since. Obviously fractured his toe, and then has been back since middle of start of January. Played against Brighton Played 90 minutes The game against Leicester Was cancelled Played against Norwich Played against Villa Was on the bench Against Newcastle Not used Played most of the game Against Leeds Played against Southampton Wasn't in the squad Against City Doesn't say he was injured
3: Played against Spurs Zero goals yeah, you'd have to be concerned looking at that. Like, it's like he has. I'm not. Obviously, he is a function of what's
2: going on around him, and the team are not creating chances, and blah, 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 blah. But, like, you know, he, he ain't Alan Shearer, you know? This isn't. He was good
3: last season. He, like, We've so seen strikers have. Good seasons. Yeah, no, but he was... he was, I do remember, like, the year before when, when Duncan Ferguson had, had taken over for a while. That's when he'd started to sparkle. And I still think he got, like, a, a dozen or so Premier League goals that season. Then he, would like, notched it up to 15, 16 Premier League goals last season. So there was there was a nice layering on of Calvert-Lewin where it was like this guy can now target 20 Premier League goals and maybe this is a guy that Manchester United or something could be thinking about signing because he's going to be English first of all and he's going to be one of the, the foremost number nines in the in the league potentially on, on that tier below Harry Kane not anywhere on that same level but on, on a tier below him so an, an effective top half Premier League player and uh, this this season obviously has just been a real disappointment One more point about the, the Carragher rant right which
2: we have been focused almost exclusively on what he said about James Coleman and uh, he might be right we're not sure this is not you know it's not great for our prospects but it was like um, oh I thought they were going to stay up because the fans immediately backed and had faith in Frank Lampard it's like hmm, the wisdom of the fans is not always the thing that you want the fans picking the manager isn't really they needed to pick the best manager yeah, not the most popular manager no because it's not a popularity contest right now it is a football contest and the best football managers, the Sean Dice's. It's, Sean, it's a it's a human celebrity death match between Sean Dyche and Frank Lampard. Who's winning that fight? Uh, well, like, you mean, it's, you've got... Uh, Top off,
3: <laughs> oiled up, who's winning the fight? Uh, like, I wish it were that simple. I wish, I wish it was just an oiled up fight between those two people, but it's not, obviously. You've got- it is now.
2: Metaphorically, it's the team but it's not Hume I mean Leeds, Leeds and Brentford
3: Leeds and Brentford are it's a, it's a, it's a four way at this point it's Ma- so they Marsh, might both Madden's. stay up you mean yeah and um, you've got an uh, oiled up Thomas Frank and Jesse Marsh coming into the whole situation and after well.
2: he's killed those two it's it's down to right Lampard it's you me
3: yeah, well, if he kills with those two, then it could be Brentford and Leeds who go down. Like, I mean, Brentford obviously got that win at the weekend. That was huge. And uh, Leeds didn't. So they're still hugely vulnerable. Everton have two games in hand on Leeds. And they're only one point behind them. Uh,
2: uh, yeah. Two games in hand to get beaten 5 0 and 5 0. For the next to their two goal games are at home.
3: The next two games are at home. I'm, I'm like, I mean, it's, again, making predictions is stupid based on that team's getting relegated because they will let you down invariably. But I would back Everton to stay up. I, I, I would. If I had to guess, I think everything is staying up.
2: Okay, I, I'll, I'll bet you a fancy breakfast. They won't.
3: Oh, 100 percent. Of Kenny Cunningham's choosing. Yeah, Kenny gets the pick wherever you we're actually going. think. You think everything are going down? I think it's very difficult to recover from stuff like this. There's like yeah, a, of course. it's like a tailspin. Straight into the ground. He still does have this kind of like intangible credit in the bank. Where it's does like, he? you know, it's a uh, does he? Yeah, because for what he, he can still say, you know, we we're, we're still trying to figure out these problems here. You know this this Rubik's cube has been scrambled by the previous manager, and uh, I'm just trying to.
2: And I brought Van der Beek, Deli Alli in as the cavalry to rescue me. And when I when I had the opportunity to play Deli Alli
3: in a game that he might be completely motivated for, mm. didn't pick him. Do you think that the uh, Everton fan who uh, scribbled Pereira out, Lampard in on the wall regrets his decision now? I think so. I think well, I I think this. I think he's like no it's
2: going to come good but there's no way that um, there's no way that they would
3: ever have allowed themselves he could
2: have saved them from relegation by now by winning every game since he arrived and they'd still be like oh Frank Lampard would have won it better
3: yeah yeah quite possibly I like I mean I, I still still think Lampard has has enough there to get them out of this very sticky situation it doesn't it doesn't look good it does. Like I mean, last night was was pretty stark, to be honest. But Spurs are a very good team, and when they've looked good recently, they've they've looked excellent. They've like in attack in particular, and like as I say, I think it is just a real concern how everyone just couldn't lay a glove on them attacking wise themselves to even at least make it like a five one or a five two or something a little bit less embarrassing than a five nil. Um. Somebody says talk about Arsenal. Somebody just says talk about Arsenal. That's it. Like you must be excited, one hundred percent. Like uh, you, you do look at this Saturday's fixture between Manchester United and Spurs, and you kind of hope that Manchester United win the fixture or that it's a draw. That Spurs are looking a bit of a threat at the moment. I know Arsenal have to play both of them, uh, and they have to play Liverpool midweek next week. So I think that there'll be like a a good sense of of, of where Arsenal are at after after that. But right now, our telenosis team, they're playing a really good style of football and they're grinding out results. If Arsenal
2: get beaten 3-0 by Liverpool, that's not like a wake-up call or a reality check or anything like that. That's that's where those two teams are. One of the best teams in the world playing with all of their available players and uh, festooned with Champions League and league winners versus a team of kids who are coming. Mm. That should be 3-0 if you're actually going out and trying to express yourself as opposed to, oh, we're going to put Eight men behind the ball and park the bus because that's not what the team needs at this stage of their development. No, they need to go out and learn toe to toe because you can you can develop park the bus mentality like in a in a two legged tie in a knockout in European football. Fine, right? And maybe maybe he does that because he feels that's a, an important way to go about it. But it'll be much better to see them go out and try and be themselves. Now at this at this stage
3: of evolution in their in the because they've been able to react quite well to those defeats this season well I was just about to say I'm not sure they have like I I think that the the one against Manchester City on New Year's Day was a particularly chastening one obviously the the red cards um, the celebration from Roger right in front of the Arsenal fans that one really stuck in the craw and it felt like a little bit of a setback and the question was how would they respond they got knocked out in the cup the next week by by Forrest they had that nil all draw with Burnley at the end of that month and then they had uh, the defeat to to Liverpool over two legs in the EFL Cup and January was just a little bit of a write-off they managed to get the Spurs game postponed within January which may prove to be one of the smartest things they managed to do all season if it manages to come back and, and Arsenal get something from that game because I think in that moment I think Arsenal might, might have lost that uh, North London derby but uh, they managed to, to kick that back a little bit and uh, in the middle of that January wreckage they didn't lose as many games as they possibly could have so I'm not sure they actually did uh, handle the setback of the Manchester City game as well as you think but what did happen was kind of out of the blue then they kind of ground out that, that result at Molyneux um, and the same with the, with the Brentford and the return game a, a, against Wolves. And then all of a sudden on Sunday, they actually put in one of their better performances recently where they're like, OK, we're confident again. And that's what a young team kind of needs, where it's like, oh, we played badly there for the last little while and we got three points in three games in a row we're actually quite good at this thing. We're actually very, very good at football and all of a sudden you've got like Saka looking at Odegaard and like, I mean, are are these players completely uh, uh, unaware of, you know, the the career path of certain players? Like, do you think Arsenal players looked at Odegaard and thought to themselves, we're not sure if this guy is actually the wonder kid he was supposed to be a couple of years ago and actually he's just proven to his teammates over the course of this season that he actually is a a fairly special player and I think Arsenal's done an incredible piece of business getting him in Um, and, oh, it's like, it is rosy in the garden, there's no getting away from it but, it will be a hell of a conclusion now that they manage to get top four because all of a sudden those kids are looking around saying, we've, we've, we've reached a, a very good staging point here. Spurs are a threat.
2: Yeah, <clears throat>
3: they are after last night. Um, and all
2: of a sudden that race for fourth is going to be one of the most compelling things that we have to look forward to for the rest of the season. OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to take a quick break. We're back talking about the potential GA merger and plenty more besides. If you've got a view and you want to get it off your chest this morning, Leave a comment on the YouTube stream or tweet us at Off the Ball AM. You can use the hashtag OTBAM either. Back after this.
1: OTBAM.
2: Yeah, you're welcome back to OTBAM. Um, very briefly going to talk about a, a piece in the papers today. Neil O'Reardon, inconsistency in delivery of live games, a turn off. Without airing weekly matches, RTE is not helping raise awareness of the league in a meaningful way. And he's talking about the comparison between rugby and uh, the League of Ireland. It's, it's an excellent piece, uh, thoughtful and. Um, you know, very self-aware, but does does say uh, you can't help but feel there's a lost opportunity to capitalise on the new season interest in the league and to try to mobilise that and create a sense of momentum around it. What is RTE showing as an alternative? Last week, it was Ulster Rugby's URC clash against Cardiff Blues, which was also being shown by BBC and Premier Sports. RTE's broadcast from Ravenhill, which was geo-blocked outside the Republic of Ireland. Attracted 68,000 viewers 6% audience share Peaking at 91,000 When you consider The combined population Of Cavan, Donegal And Monaghan Is under 300,000 That's not bad And it was of course Higher than the two League of Ireland games The previous two Fridays But it's not hard to imagine That Pats and Rovers Given their fan bases Could have attracted Something similar And those watching Would have got far more Of a contest Than in the 48-12 win For Dan McFarlane's side This week RT is showing the Six Nations clash Between Wales and France it may be a snapshot in time, but it leaves us with a curious scenario whereby a Welsh rugby fan is being better served on these two weekends by the Irish state broadcaster than the Irish football supporter.
3: That's remarkable, isn't it? It's, uh, I think, it's the on Dock this Friday as well, which um, might have been the pick of the games. No, sorry, Ro- Rovers bowls would be the Rovers pick of bowls, the games. yeah. Uh, sorry, this Friday. Um, that'll definitely be the standout fixture, so... Yeah, it's 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 a bit mad. Like, and also the thing is, like, um, it's not just about the current figures, is it? It's also about like what that figures would become uh, by flowering along over the next couple of seasons, because you become more familiar with the league, with the players, and uh, and and those numbers would grow. Whereas it feels like maybe um, the old Pro Fourteen current URC is operating at or close to its. Potential at the moment. Obviously, if it's a, if it's a, an Irish derby, it's completely different. Like there, there would be a multiple of that figure tuning in. But for the uh, the Ulster against a Welsh or a Scottish team or an Italian team, I think during the Six Nations, during the Six Nations, I, I think that those are you're not going to do much better than that ever. Whereas the league, obviously, are, committed
2: like, showing all the games, though. Yeah, in with the aim of trying to build up the league. Yeah, it's like that logic is being applied. We're going to put this on repeat so everybody knows when the big games come this is where they're going to come. It's almost like if you build it, they will come. Mm. But that does not apply to the League of Ireland. Uh, it seems to me, says Neil Reardon, if RTE or any other broadcaster is not willing to commit to more comprehensive coverage that will raise the profile of the league in a meaningful way, then a parting of the ways is for the best. Concentrating efforts on building up LOI TV into a better product with a more flexible subscription model looks like a better option than plodding along with the current arrangement. It's hard to disagree with that. Mm. It is hard to disagree. It's, it's like a... It's, it's not something that is being... Uh, lavished attention or interest or care as part of this deal, find a partner who loves you. Yeah. You know, they are like, the relationship is not good. Obviously, you need to get out of this relationship would be the, dear Mary, <laughs> I'm in a long-term relationship which seems to be stuck in a rut. Occasionally, I get some attention. And then, I'm not quite sure why I get more attention. And then the attention disappears for months at a time. I
3: mean, this is a loveless marriage they're trapped in. mm yeah, but uh, they, they, they take it on the, the, the prospect of love coming down the line at one stage. Like, I, but maybe there's somebody else out there. It's a big bad world. Maybe there Go is. and find somebody. Well, or, or force them to love you by saying
2: you're going to show every game. every If you want to show our international games, if you want to love me in the Aviva, you've got to love me in Bray and maybe not go in Cork just yet until I get back into the uh, Premier League. But you've got to love me in Talca,
3: yeah, And you've got to love me in Tala one thing I would say to that is that obviously there is there was like a big um, financial pressure on uh, Orti and Virgin to get Six Nations rights and as part of that package you obviously have to show uh, France against Wales Uh, sorry but you don't have to show the under 20s you don't all that was like oh oh, it's,
2: it's a rule we have to show this game you don't you don't you don't have to show those games. You can make a decision or you can put them on your News Now channel if you want. Like, Yeah, yeah fair. Or you can put it free to air on YouTube. Okay. There's a million different ways around this. You can be creative if you want to be, if there's I a will. The thing
3: is that when you're buying the package, which include the Ireland games or some of the Ireland games, you get these games for free as well. And it's like, oh, well, we've paid for it, so we may as well throw it on. You and know? so
2: what? what, what so they, they have lavished more care and attention on club GAA matches than they do on the yeah. national football Exactly. Yeah, there,
3: there was definitely, there was definitely an, an effort made, and rightly so, to to get club games onto TV and to give more exposure to some of those club stories. And I think they should be looking at that, the League Ireland, and saying, why aren't we getting that? Like, I think
2: that's exactly what they are saying. Yeah, but what you know. Uh, Ulster versus Dragons they're not being listened to right give us your views 10 past 8 this morning it's your taxpayer's money that we're talking about by the way so if you've got a view on that we'd love to hear from you Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number or you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream and a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day now we want to talk about the potential merger between the LGFA, the Camogie Association and the GA. and I'm delighted to welcome Gary Brennan to the show. Um, Gary's written a very thoughtful, interesting, thought-provoking piece in The Examiner which we'll tweet a link to and you should check it out. Um, it's uh, it's just a very interesting perspective Gary that we thought today would be a good day, International Women's Day, to have a chat to you about. How are you getting
0: on? I'm good, Yeah, Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: So, um, people will know you as a, a Clare footballer and a hurler with Ballet. Uh but you're also married to a Camogie player and had a first-hand view of the differences between the uh, difficulties um, that Camogie players at inter-county level and footballers at inter-county level have.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, I didn't have to look too far for inspiration for that piece. I suppose that you mentioned uh, my wife, Eve, played Camogie with Limerick senior for I could Miss quarter or fifteen, if not sixteen years, I think. Um, she was playing since she was 15 years of age, I think, uh, and never officially retired, but uh, isn't, isn't currently playing senior promoggy with Limerick, i put it that way. Um, so I suppose I had a very clear insight into um, how our lifestyle different. Um And I often say that I didn't really train fully until uh, I met Eve. She showed me what preparation and training is really about. So I suppose I, I could just see... Um, the, the allowances or what we were afforded as, as male players was so much, things were so much easier for us than they were for our female counterparts. And, you know, the piece, I suppose, wasn't me trying to say that what I do here in St. Flannans or what we do in Clare is perfect or, or anything like that. It was kind of a reflection piece for us all to maybe just take a, a, a step back and consider and think about what it's like to be on the other side of the fence, you know, um, and, and that was, that was kind of the motivation for it. And, and as I say, it was very easy for me to see that, just looking at, at, at Neve at home and, and how she used to repair. And uh, I suppose what challenges she had to overcome compared to what, what I had to overcome.
2: Can you give us some examples? of like, What was the most striking stuff as, as you would have gone along and kind of, uh, it slowly dawns on you, Oh, my life's a bit easier than this. I don't have to do all that.
0: Yeah. Well, just from, from day to day, I suppose, like, um, you know, if you took a a typical training week, so if we had to do a gym session on a Monday, um, we probably had access or we, we, we met at a couple of different slots at the the gym, the county gym that we had for Claire. Whereas for Neve's team, they were probably looking to try and book a one hour slot. They had to be there at that particular time. They had to travel to do it. Um, you know, then training pitches, you know, on a Wednesday night, we had our dressing rooms, our pitch, everything laid on for us. Whereas, um, their team, they might have been waiting until the last minute to try and get a pitch. That pitch might have been pulled sometime in the afternoon and they have to go and find another pitch or maybe not even a pitch, maybe train somewhere on the, on the back of a pitch somewhere with very poor light, um, may not have dressing rooms, um, so no shower after training, uh, you know, whereas we can have the shower, sit down, have a bit to eat, have a chat with the lads and head away. So even from that social side, I suppose um, it's far easier for, for male players. Um, most of the time and you know I'm not saying that every every male uh, player has it really easy and every female there has it really tough there are, there are challenges for both in different situations but you know there are some of the examples meals after training um, mileage rate I mean some of the mileage Need would have been putting up in the car was, was mad um, and, and no expenses for it you know compared to male players getting 50 or sometimes 60 cents um, a mile um, you know nutritional support psychological support things like that that you know I think I, I would have seen for an Leafs team for Limerick-Moggi in, in later years but not to the same extent that we would have had um, as male players so it's just uh, you know gear another thing um, you know, and and I, I actually think that the gear that we get as male players is far too much I don't think we need half the gear uh, we're getting a, ba- a gear bag full of gear every year there's just, there's just no need for it all but, um, you know, a lot of the, the gear maybe that they would have gotten with Limerick Mogie, they might have had to do their own fundraising or um, go out and source themselves or, or things like that. So just, I suppose, where I was able to go and concentrate on my own playing and my own um, training for Neve and for many of our counterparts, they had a lot of other things to consider as well before they could even think about training and playing.
3: Uh, obviously, the the contrast there is is striking when you compare the uh, experience that she's had as a Limerick Camogie player and say the experiences of the Limerick hurlers over the last little while and how well resourced they have been. That kind of makes the whole thing more striking, i suspect.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine so. Um, I suppose there's possibly an argument that the Limerick hurlers maybe are better resourced than a lot of other male counties too. And that is a, something that happens amongst, you know, even if we have a merger here, which we hopefully will have, um, that won't stop some teams being resourced better than others, you know, and that's I suppose that's not um what I'm striving for, what I'd like to see, but I would like to see a basic level, a minimum requirement for all teams, you know, male or female. Um because th- there's always going to be those imbalances or those differences between counties or some counties are going to employ a system that allows them to provide more resources for their teams or provide them in a different way Um, and and, and that's that's not necessarily the worst thing but um, I suppose just having a minimum standard for all players be they male or female um, and having the same opportunities to focus on playing and training is is what I'd like to see
2: Um, You're a a teacher in St. Flannan's, and and you've worked with the girls teams there as well so like uh, there's there's a generation coming through that hopefully won't experience what your wife experienced and that there's a generation of lads coming through who won't experience what you saw, which was some kind of, you know, you didn't have a sense of privilege about it, but you, you were aware of the fact that it was privileged and that's what needs to happen. But it really definitely, I know we we keep saying that, oh, this is actually happening already at um, club level and, and it's being driven by the clubs and it's being driven by the grassroots, but it does need the top of the organisation to say, right, we, we've caught up with you all, and this is how it's going to be. And this merger is happening. Here's how it's going to work, and we have full equality now. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it.
0: Yeah, it, it needs a statement of intent, you know. And uh, for all the for all the excellent work that is happening in in clubs around the country following a one club model, and, and Neave's club actually would be would be one of those um, where all all teams participate under the same. Same code and same name, um, same colour, same name, and, and, and share resources. But um, it's a hand in Limerick. But uh, for all of that good work, they're still our separate organisations. And if the GA wanted at any stage, they could make things more, you know, difficult for the Gomogi teams or the ladies football teams in that club, so or in any of those clubs that are doing that. So I think it's important that just from a basic level the structure is right to start with um, make it all the one organisation you, you mentioned at school there as part of the new Leaving Cert um curriculum we were was just having a discussion with um, as it so happens my, my class of Leaving Cert is all boys which is a rare thing now in, in St. Flannan's here we're a mixed school but I have 19 boys in the class um, and I suppose just trying to get them to see it from other people's perspective as well and from a female player's perspective and Things that, you know, I, I had a different perspective, but I'd, ha- I'd readily admit that I didn't always have a good insight into what it was like for a female player. So. Um, and I know Joanna Reardon wrote an excellent piece and spoke well, very well last year But how it shouldn't take for males um, to have an insight into female sport for them to start speaking up. But, you know, unfortunately, I maybe wasn't as aware as I should have been beforehand, but now I am, and I suppose I'd like to and contribute to the discussion some bit um, and if I can make some male players more aware of what it's like for a female player well then maybe that will help progress the discussion and, and help uh, bring some somewhat more balance to it um, and I think that's important that we're teaching guys and girls that at 14, 15, 16 um, and younger even uh, rather than waiting until they're adults and maybe they have a bit more insight um, so you know I would just like to see a case where an, an 8 or 9 year old goes down to the club or six or seven whatever age they're starting now and they're all part of the one body rather than immediately being separated into well that's the Komogi group over there that's the that's the the hurling team over there um, they're all one club and one unit and working together um, I suppose, in one direction
2: yeah because it can only it can only lead to a, a, a flowering of the organization in a multitude of different ways like it's it's Actually, quite exciting yeah. when you think about what the end of this process is going to be. But
0: there's a big clear... thing. I mean, if you talk about the, sharing, the sharing of resources that could happen. I mean, if, if you even look at um, the efficiency of use of resources, like uh, if you looked at, for example, in Clare here, the Clare men's footballers, the hurlers, the ladies footballers and the Mogi team, they're probably all, for example, employing a different strength and conditioning coach, employing different physios, potentially different nutritionists. I mean, there's huge opportunity there for centralising that, having a core team who's responsible for the uh, performance of all of the inter-county teams in the county, and you know maybe having different layers within that or different groups within that that would work with the individual teams. But um, I just think it could be far more efficient and, and work far better for, for everyone, not just for um, ladies' footballer Camogie.
2: And then you can see that being a resource that clubs can tap into, as as exactly. and when it becomes appropriate. So, um, what do you actually think is the main barrier to this? Because everybody is making the right noises, and yet I'm not quite sure what the the roadmap is for it to happen.
0: Yeah, I, I, look, I, I don't, I don't really know the answer to that question, um, sir. Sure, to be honest with you, I, I know that. I did have a conversation with um, Egon O'Farreil when he was president of the GA and we were on the International Rules store. and um, at the time he told me that this was the one thing he would like to have achieved most, more than anything. That was back in 2017, I think, before he left office. Um, so I know it's something that, I suppose, has been wanted from different quarters, at different stages. Maybe there's been some hesitancy from some of the... Um, some of the female organisations in that they maybe feel they haven't, that their rights and that their, um, the deal mightn't work out to their, to their benefit, you know, and that's an understandable concern. I think it's important that if we are looking at a merger, that it's a very clear uh, discussion. that We look at how this will work best for everyone, you know? Um, So there's probably been a bit of hesitancy and a bit of concern there, but I think it's, it's striking that the ladies football has, um, they passed the motion at the weekend that, uh, that the GPA had put forward, or a uh, similar motion. Sorry, for the GPA one, they, they I think edited the Galway motion that had been proposed, uh, so it reflected the same wording as, as the GPA motion to GA Congress. So, and and the Komogi Association have uh, publicly committed that they will back it as well. So, I think now we're starting to see um, more alignment in the thinking. You know, and, and I think that that more and there's is, is a commitment to prioritise it. So I I'd, I'd be watching with interest to see what, what that means and, and what that uh, leads to. But at the very least, there's a commitment now from all um, from all codes and all organisations to start working on this and see what it might look like uh, for everyone going forward. Uh, we're,
2: we're very wedded to symbols and stuff and tradition in Ireland. And sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. Um, the name seems to be something that, might be up for grabs is that a, is that important or not like i can't like, i can't decide if like if the new organization is going to be something which has a different name it doesn't feel like it really matters but it might for for a lot of people
0: yeah, I, yeah um i'm probably the wrong person to ask there because i i'd just be like, look if it is a new name if it is a new name um <laughs> what about it you know if it, if it means a better future for everyone than a new name so be it but um that that may be more important to some other people. So, um, again, that's something that would have to be included in the conversation, and uh, just see, I suppose, how much of a how much of a barrier is it going to be if if, if a name is stopping the combination of all three organisations? I think we're in trouble. Uh, I think it'll be very very hard to iron out the other issues that will arise as this happens, um, because you know this this will be. This won't happen overnight and won't happen uh quickly, there'll be plenty complications along the way, I'm sure, but I would certainly hope that a name wouldn't be top at that
3: Gary, when when you're um, speaking like this and and thinking about this, does any of your own experience come into it? And and I mean that in the sense of being uh, a footballer in what would traditionally be seen as a hurling county. Was there uh, challenges that you guys had to overcome to get to a level where you were trying to look at the last eight consistently in in whatever it was, the the 2014, 2015, 2016 direction?
0: Just lost the middle of your question there, but I think um, if I took it right, it's just that uh a to compare how my experiences maybe, and trying to strive for better yeah, might compare to, I suppose, the female players. I'm not sure if that was exactly what you said, but, I, I'd, be yeah, but yeah. say, yeah, I'd be hesitant to Particularly as a footballer in, in Clare, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I won't lie that that thought crossed my mind, I suppose, that we were often the the poor relation um, in the county, or seen as the poor relation, I should say, uh, compared to the hurlers. But, you know, I, I'd hesitate even to say that because it's it's completely unfair for me to compare what it was like for me as a male Gaelic footballer uh, to what it is like for a female player because even though we may not have gotten everything that the hurlers got at times or you know we might not get the same support, it's still um, a different world completely to what it's like for a female player. So, look, maybe that would have given me some small bit of insight, but I, I don't think it's anything compared to what female players are dealing with um, day to day.
2: Yeah, we we like there will be misogyny that we need to talk about and counteract uh, as this change happens. There will be dinosaurs and clubs who will refuse to give the main pitch to the women's teams because they've never had it before and that's the that that is maybe an unspoken part of this is that like we we can't tolerate those attitudes anymore. We've kind of probably turned a blind eye to it in the past. And when the stories come out from the women's teams, everybody is shocked at the stories, but then nothing actually happens in the aftermath of that what we're saying is it's going to be codified that there's equality when the when the senior team needs the main pitch the senior team gets the main pitch not the under 14 boys team over the women's team the way it would be at the moment and I'm not sure that every everybody around the country is just ready for that yet and I mean tough shit really but they're the stories that we have to listen uh, take on board and then move past
0: yeah no that's exactly it Um, that's the day to day barrier like that will be struck and um, you know as I say I'm not claiming to be perfect like um, this happens in clubs up and down the the country all the time and uh, even in our own club last year I was coaching an under 15 team and the senior pomogie team were, were due to come on the pitch after us now uh I think the Senior Combo team thought I was trying to take over the pitch at the time but I was very much intended to be finished in time for their session and, but there's there's that immediate kind of fear that, or that, that because it's happened before well the pitch is going to be taken on us or you know um, we're supposed to have this pitch and, and we're not getting it when we should so there just needs to be clear communication and clear um, I suppose it's going to take direction and it's going to take good leadership at the top of each club but also that you know all bodies recognise that that's if the senior camogie team are due to train and the senior camogie team are committing and are bringing numbers to training uh, that they deserve to have the pitch as good as the senior hurling team would or the senior football team would. You know? um, and it's just, it's, it's as you say, it's going to take a change in attitude. It's going to take a change in in thinking for people, which won't happen quickly. But uh, I've seen it in stub in the Hand there where You know, they they still might not always have the top pitch or the main pitch, but they've won a county championship since the the men have won a county championship. And they they got fantastic support in the club, you know, and um, a lot of the male players were there supporting them on the day and throughout the process. So I think it's as as things like that happen, um, I think more and more clubs will start to buy in and more and more people will start to see the benefit of it and, and follow that legal justice.
2: Yeah, it'll be transformative. I mean, that's the, the, as I said, at the end of this process, something magical is going to happen where you have one of the most important cultural and grassroots organisations in the country recognising the power of to be an agent of change. Um, I, I do want to briefly uh, ask you to put on your hurling and football hats at the moment. Do you consider yourself a hurler or a footballer now considering the late flowering of your career as a club hurler as um, what a lot of people would know you as for the last couple of years? Yeah,
0: I'm very much uh, a football man um, still. Yeah, no, I to, uh, my home club is actually hurling uh, in Ballye. So I played hurling all the way up along but I suppose we only really saw success in the last uh, seven or eight years at senior level. So, um, no, I'm, I'm still very much a football man. I, I'm, I'm involved in football here in the school. And um, at the moment, I have, actually, I haven't even gone back club hurling this year. i just club football at the moment. Um, we had a, a little baby boy just over three months ago. So uh, he's keeping us busy at the moment. So, uh, so hurling will go on the back burner before football will go on the back burner.
2: Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So that's, that, that is um, a definite identifier. Um, Tommy was telling us we need to ask you about Shane Meehan who is also a, a dual star. Uh, he's um, flying for the hurlers but captain the minor footballer still only 19 so um, already getting rave reviews. Where is he going to end up do you think? Uh, um,
0: Shane looks at... Just lost you there for a second again. Sorry, but Shane Shane is a class act. Um... And I, I saw him first playing with the player minor footballers, as you say. Um, and just and you're looking for you're looking to go to a match, and you're looking to, you want to see the most exciting players. You want to see the the main the skills of the game being being displayed.
2: Oh, we've just lost the line to St. Flannan's there this morning, but sure look, we were nearly finished anyway, so we'll say thanks very much to Gary Brennan for his contribution this morning. You should read that piece in the examiner. Um, It's definitely thought provoking and like really the merger just needs to happen. They need to tell everybody what they're going to do, have some consultations about what the outcomes need to be and then get on with it and say, here's how we're going to audit as it goes along. Here's how we're going to make sure that it's successful. Here's a hotline for anybody who wants to report Hmm. uh,
3: misogynistic dinosaurs. And it shouldn't be that hard. Uh, And it, As a result of that, it should be something that is noticeable in its change very quickly and uh, not necessarily overnight, but pretty close to it. Like, I mean, some of these, when when you're talking about things that involve common sense, but that can also make a big difference. The change can happen very, very quickly, even though it feels like there's a lot of a lot of uh, hoops to jump through. It kind of feels as if that suits the, the old narrative that this thing is complicated. Yeah, I mean, I hold no candle for any
2: of the politicians who've ever been in charge of the departments of sport, but uh, reminding everybody about the rules that are in place to get government funding and Uh, in in terms of female representation throughout your organisation not just the tokenistic stuff that you can do at board level Uh, stop the funding stop the funding for the IRFU stop the funding for the FAI stop the funding for the GA until they get their houses in order when it comes to proper integration and pushing women's sport forward that's the and in fairness to them they said they're going to do that so time to put up or shut up for everybody
3: yeah and like I don't see why they wouldn't do that like if you're like if you're being an unbelievable cynic about it as well like I mean it doesn't make any sense politically for them to not do that like I mean uh, they want to be the face of uh, a positive news story and this is going to lead to far more positive reflections on Irish sport you'd like to think over the next little while yeah again potentially transformative
2: for all of these organisations a reminder OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it's 8.32 great show lads Everton fan here leaving, living in Greenville South Carolina I'm either up late or early either way toffees suck and I'm preparing for relegation <laughs> and not being back for a bit great show says Dave F so he's he's with you
3: he's, he thinks they're going down
2: yeah but he's got the I mean I, I, I presume everywhere in South Carolina is kind of slightly idyllic as a place to live. If you're on the beach, it's kind of it's supposed to be sensational. I've never been, but I definitely want to go. Uh, so, you know, it's not too
3: bad. It's definitely up late, though. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, I mean, what's, uh, what has you up till three o'clock on a, on a Tuesday morning? Uh, Everton fans wanted Lampard because he shouted at Klopp once, says Noel. Do you remember that? Giving it a big one because you won the league once. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the Champions League. Yeah. Right, that was fun. And Klopp just telling it to calm down. Calm down, you know, You know, when like somebody says, just calm down, and it just makes you angrier and angrier and angrier. You're in a bad mood, Frank. It just makes them in a worse mood. Yeah. Uh, great interview. The success of the male game is in
2: part due to the standards based on these advantages. Every team should get 50 50 of what the senior, junior can afford at that level. Uh, Ronan says, Any chance to do something on the MLB? It's becoming completely unwatchable as a sport with the owners holding the players to ransom. I haven't been following the potential for the lockout and strike and the absence of a deal. Have you been following um, enough
3: of it? Not really. I know that the Players association have like rejected a a recent proposal from uh, the league, but um, it's it like I mean this it's not the first time this sport has had to deal with a a lockout, and this one seems pretty pretty poisonous. and doesn't seem like they're they're gonna get passes in pass anytime soon.
2: They seem to be managing decline in baseball, don't they? Like
3: they, they seem to be managing
2: what decline? Like yeah. it's kind of it's going to where does it stop? Where does it? Because uh, you know, like. It, it got better to watch when they were able to show you where the strike zone was. Yeah. But I still think that like the strike zone is is an agreed virtual space. Mm. It's a bit like the metaverse. It's a bit like <laughs> NFTs. You have to accept that this is important for us all to agree on it. And I mean, baseball is, it was ultimately, if the ball goes in anywhere in this area, it's a strike. But if it goes over here, it's not a strike. Mm. It's like, what? what's, how do you know? Big, the the, the big stays. guy, it just stays. The big guy strike zone is better. So why don't they just get a lot of little guys? Who's like, ah, oh, that's outside my strike zone. I'm Sorry, I couldn't hit it.
3: I mean, well, there you go. Maybe you missed a. a the a, little short stubby arms. I'm like, you missed the yeah. life as an a Tyrannosaurus MLB. Rex. Yeah. Uh, I, like did I see somewhere that they talk? There's talk of like putting more teams into the playoffs as well in the MLB. Which, at face value, I'm like, you have a billion games in the regular season. Uh, to devalue the the fact that you've got a billion games even further probably wouldn't be an and amazing everybody idea get through. I'm not sure though is that part of the current lockout that that's actually uh, maybe a more lucrative thing for players or something um, again I haven't been following it closely enough to, to say for sure
2: Alright at 8.35 we're running through the sports pages it's uh, fairly uniformity this morning it seems genuine that's Matt Williams and Jerry Thornley talking about Razzie Rasmus's um denial that the video was leaked on purpose I'm not sure Jamie Carragher gives damning verdict of Seamus Coleman uh, his days are numbered, says Pat Nevin on Seamus Coleman. Poor Seamus. FIFA relaxes rules to so allow foreign players leave clubs in Ukraine. And Frank O'Farrell did an interview with uh, OTB back in 2009. If you want to hear the voice of the former Manchester United manager, who of course passed away yesterday at the age of 94, uh, Ron the Legend, missing Cristiano, is facing Old Trafford exit. And Rashford's also open to leaving United. More leaks. Ron the Legend, ledge end they want you to mispronounce the word so the headline works yeah it's the end of the legend it is the end of the legend uh, Kane the legend Harry ahead of Henri Harry Kane top Harry Henry in the all time premier scoring charts on a horror night for Frank Lampard and Eddie Jones started the mind games early by saying Ireland are brilliant that's an unusual Eddie Jones trick normally it's like a different way uh, the, the leaks, it was Fabrizio Romano who had this story yesterday first and everybody has picked up on it. Question mark. Frustrated Rashford wants guarantees over his future. Frank gets banked. Okay. Uh, Kenny set to agree deal, it says. <laughs> this is a Paul Lennon's story. Stephen Kenny will sign his contract extension as Ireland manager within the next few days. And it's planned that a formal announcement confirming the deal will be made by the FA and Kenny early next week at the latest. The Ireland boss is scheduled to name a squad for the end of month friendlies against Belgium and Lithuania on Friday week. Uh, talks have substantially concluded to the satisfaction of both sides. So, what do we, March? When did we start calling for this? Last August? Sure, look, they're getting there. Things are
3: progressing. We're moving forward. Because mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think maybe that was one of the question marks really around that deal was would he get the till to see out the year 2024 qualification campaign and I think that that's that is going to be the case Is that confirmed in that piece? That's what it says in the piece Uh, Yeah okay
2: It's unclear if Kenny will be able to confirm the appointment before Belgium and Lithuania play He's still seeking a replacement for Anthony Barry and yeah It's the most obvious decision and the correct decision Rashford considers future as United slide into turmoil as a telegraph Premier League and EFL pull plug on Russian TV contracts. Um, As the sanctions continue, uh, question mark. United fears for Rashford as he demands answers over his future. Like, they're going to do nothing until the new manager comes in and decides whether or not he wants Rashford. The new manager might go, I'm not sure... And they'll let us contact run down. But they apparently have a, a... They can trigger an extra year in it. So it's less of a Pogba situation. Okay, I didn't, I didn't so, know that there was the extra year. Well, uh, it's reported. Who's reporting that? Yeah. Is that is that a pro... Oh, no, we've, we've got the situation. We're managing it very well. Thanks very much for your story. We actually have an extra year there. And player's like, well, it's probably an extra year that we both need to agree on. Yeah. So maybe you don't really have that extra year if I don't agree. It's there anyway. Dreadful Everton in grave danger. The other thing, like, um, is the England goalkeeper any good? Was he not a fault for the second goal?
3: Oh, well, the one hundred percent he was. Well, like, what you know, like he made a couple of good late saves, but like, I mean, it's five you're, nil, playing yeah. okay, great at five 0 Yeah, I was. Yeah, the ball squirted under his body for the second. Like it was a, it was a howler. It was, yeah. So,
2: the male uh, worst ever Lampard's in big trouble is sizzling spurs go goal crazy is it the, it the worst ever start for Everton 28 games in so it's not really a start but um,
3: Gee,
2: yeah uh, yeah and heat Jones says Ireland are favourites do we really like is that really Eddie Jones has this power over us that he says oh you guys are favourites we're like oh no Eddie we're favourites we can
3: you found our kryptonite telling us we're favourites I'm not sure about you. I woke up pretty proud this morning. Uh, Eddie Jones said yesterday that we are literally the most cohesive side in the world. I woke up feeling Irish and cohesive as hell. Feels good to be cohesive. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean in your day-to-day day life? Ah, How do you take every, it into your interactions with other human beings? Everything everything is just so uh so much synergy and everything is so synchronized and yeah. Being cohesive is good.
2: All right. OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. It is 8.40. We're turning our attention to the Women's National League. And I'm delighted to say the Shelburne captain, Pearl Slattery, is with us. Pearl, good morning to you. How are you getting on?
5: Morning, lads. Thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, no oh, worries. Good. You uh, got the start of the league campaign off with a win and a goal. So you must have been pretty happy at the end of last week.
5: Yeah, look, delighted with the win. It's always, I feel, we always speak as a group that, you know, even last season and same this season, it's always important to start well. Um, and just, look, getting the win, it's not going to be perfect on the fourth day by any means, it's just once you win. And look, when you look back at it now, 1-0, 3 points, clean really happy with it. Um, yeah, delighted now to look forward now to this weekend against Wexford's.
2: The end of last season was uh, so spectacular and wild and bizarre and brilliant from your guys' perspective. What was the off season like? How do you how do you try and take some of the feeling that you had on the last day of last season and bottle it and bring it with you? Can you do that, or is last season completely finished and it totally irrelevant to this year? What's the what's the truth to that?
5: Yeah, I think look at, at the end of the season. You are obviously after the cup final and stuff. You kind of sit back down as a player. We've all done it and. I suppose, just look back on the season and I found myself, you know, through the month of November, December, just thinking that that actually really happened. Sometimes you would be sitting there going back to us, just a really special night in Tolkien Park. It's probably the best, you know, night I've ever had in football and a lot of the girls would say that. But, you know, once you enjoy Christmas and that with your family and you go back down to you know, pre-season yourself and you come into pre-season, especially now that we start started the season... It, Look, it's it was a wonderful night. We were delighted to win, you know, the fourth title of five years for the club. But it's a brand new season now, so it's gone and there's a lot gonna be a lot of pressure on us this season now as champions. Um so look we'll have to be on our on our game and uh every weekend. And look, we'll always compete, that's all all you want. But uh look, last year last year's definitely gone now. Look, as I said, already the fourth game of the new season's gone already. The games are gonna come thick fast and um you know, the, the, the league itself last season was really competitive and I think this year is going to be even more so. So, look, looking forward But Yeah, look, that was a special night, but it is gone now and we're just trying to look forward.
3: Do you feel that there's an extra pep in your step this season? Do you, do you, do you is like, is it nonsense to say that you can actually feel like champions when you're out there?
5: Um, I don't know. I don't know if you can feel like champions, but I feel, you know, there's an expectation on us now to go out and try to do well every game. Look, we've done that every other year anyway, but I think definitely now you know, every weekend because you know you know in previous years and you know if P mount had won it look you always wanna you always wanna be the cha- the champions, you always wanna like try try take over them and stuff. So I think other teams will be like that with us. We kinda of have a target on our back now. So but look I've always said it in interviews I feel like that every weekend as anyway as a Shells player I suppose every team would like to beat us. Similar to us, though, every weekend. You want to go into a game and win. But I do think there's a little bit more now that target is on your back as champions. And we know, look, every game, as I said, is that's the the league has just gone so competitive now. You look at the game the weekend with was, you know, it was nil all until the 70th-odd minute. Fair play to balls; They made it difficult for us. They're well set up. So, look, every team, every year is improving and we need to make sure now. You know, it's ourselves when you become champions. It's very easy to drop standards and think, and you know, I'll be the driving force and Noel and the staff and the players of fairness themselves to make sure that 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 doesn't happen to us and we keep going. Look, we'll take a week by week. We won't look beyond Wexford this week. You know, we have full concentration on both this weekend and, as I said, you're delighted with the win. the Three points in the clean sheet and now we move on to Wexford.
2: I just wanted to generally ask you about the explosion in women's football in Ireland over the last period of time. You you are part of that. You, you know, you're in your day job working for the FAI. You're essentially involved and you see how the the game is growing. What more do we need to do as a as a country to make sure that that growth continues properly and that um because that, 'cause we, we've just been talking all morning about the rugby team and uh, the situation with regards to the GAA and the merger happening there. The FAI are at a different um they're coming at it from a different angle so how do you make sure that we build on the popularity of the game and that anybody who wants to play is getting given the opportunity to play
5: yeah I think look, I think you look around the world and I always say this the potential for growth in the women's game is massive and it's in a really good place I think around the world but more so in our country you could see the last few years even in the league the development of that the crowds were getting at the games like you should have seen the crowd again at Tolka this weekend which is brilliant to see because we haven't really seen Crowds like that in the Women's National League, you know, we've went from 30 to 40 people at our games now to a few hundred, which is brilliant. But I always say as well, the FAI, you know, we've a strategic plan now there in place that we'll be following for the next few years and one of the pillars is women's football. And it's brilliant now that there's a, you know, we can really focus on that. But I just think, look, we have to continue more of the same and rather like it's in a really good place. I think women's football in this country now, but it's important we don't stop and say we're in a really good place and that we keep, driving it forward we keep going look you look at how well the women's national team are doing you know the deals have come in there the equal pay you know the sponsorship the buzz around that you know I was talking to somebody the other day where you know I obviously worked with the in a few years ago you know we used to give out comps to those games now you know they're selling out um, and you know people are buying the tickets which is, which is brilliant and I just think in terms of women's national team now if we can qualify for a major tournament I think that would really take women's football to the next level here I just think we need to get to a major tournament and it's definitely possible. So I'm really excited over the next few months to see how that goes. And then obviously in terms of the women's national league, I think it's just getting bigger and bigger every year. And that's all you want every year just for it to continue to grow. And um, you look at TG Car coming in, the sponsorships, all that sort of stuff. You even see that air game the weekend, you know, our team were there, the newest, there was highlights, all that it's you know, just about seeing it as much as possible that young girls around the country the next generation could see what is actually possible if you want to play football in this country. And as I said, you know, the development and, you know, we have to remember where we were a few years ago as well. Like, so it's brilliant where we are, but it's important now that we keep pushing forward and that we don't just settle for where it is now and that we keep driving the standards and keep wanting to develop and just getting better and better every year and giving young girls around the country in wherever, you know, capacity you want to get involved in the game where it's playing referee and volunteering, and all that sort of stuff in terms of the women's game that there's opportunities there, you know.
2: Am I right in saying you went to college in the States? Was that on a football scholarship?
5: I was, yeah. I was over there for about three and a half years and look, at the time, I just wanted to go, wanted to go live in another country, experience it, um, and you know, I was playing two games a week. We played on Wednesday night and Saturday. We were trading every day. It was you know, a brilliant experience.
2: Because there's, there's, uh, in Ireland, we we sometimes are delighted for people who get to go away and sometimes we're like, oh, I can't believe these people are, are leaving. Certainly the, the kids who go off and play Australian rules, it's always a double-edged sword for the counties who feel like they've brought the young players through. But your experience seems to have been, this was life-changing and great. And I kind of feel like, you know if you're if you're a kid 15 16 and good enough at football to go off and get a scholarship or go off and make your life as a professional somewhere else maybe you'll come back maybe you won't but either way that's kind of part of you know that's part of the sport so um i just think that it's an opportunity that's open to a lot of people that maybe wouldn't be open to them if it wasn't for sports.
5: yeah look it was a brilliant experience for me i think it really was life-changing for me just in terms of fitness I would have thought I would have been fit going to America and over there it's a completely different ball game you know they're unbelievable athletes and I just feel you know that's probably when my career turned I went up a level fitness wise and stuff and learned so much over there so when I did come home and the Women's National League was starting I felt you know I had just took it up a level fitness wise and, and just looking after myself and I learned all that through the States but I think look I speak to a lot of young girls and stuff or people thinking about going abroad it's you know on the individual if they want to go to the States or some people who are lucky enough around their league or in Ireland to go to England, you know, the most important thing is, you know, that once they go and if they're good enough that they're not kind of forgotten about. And Look, I bring her back to the women's national team, you look at Roma who went across the Was it's been great now to see her. She is over in the state, she is in college, she is living her dream, but she's also still getting called back um, into the women's national team, which is, which is massive, like a lot of the girls that go to England and stuff. So yeah, look, Think opportunities like that. If that's what you want to do as an individual, you know, you definitely should do it. Has
3: the fitness caught up here compared to the States? As a witch. Has it which? Has the fitness programs caught up in comparison to your experience oh, in the States?
5: Yeah, definitely should have been nearly 10 years ago when I was mm. in the States. I just mean, as like myself, as a, an individual, you know, I suppose the Women's National League had really started then. Um, you know, the education, this is what I always say to a lot of young girls as well, like the education they get now in terms of the game, and um, football-wise, fitness-wise, nutrition-wise, it's just a different level altogether, you know. And I suppose when I was here, and then I moved abroad for the three and a half years, that was my biggest learning curve. I think, like you know, that the level was good, and I always felt like I could compete as a footballer, but my fitness and you know how you recover and all that just went up a level. And I remember a few people saying that to me when I came home that it just you know transformed fitness-wise, and you know just looking after myself. And look, if you're training every day playing games twice a week, that'll help you naturally. But it was just, you know, the pre-season over there was just, Jesus lads, it was very, very tough, you know. And you look at it now, we were probably over and a little bit, but it just prepped me then when I came back to the Women's National League fitness-wise and being able to compete and play at the Women's National League level then, you know.
2: probably you just explain for everybody what it is your day job is with the FEI? It, it, it's it's to develop the women's game specifically, is it?
5: Yeah, so I'm, you know, the, the FEI obviously has went through a new restructure the last you know, two years. So, um <clears throat> I would have been a development officer like, just involved in the women's game actually on, on South Dublin and then with the restructure people inside kind of moved and my boss had moved on and his role came up and I'm now women's football programme coordinator in their grassroots department. So, I work with a lot of, you know, the regions where our own staff just trying to develop the game, grow the game through participation but also retain it. So, we'd have like a grassroots pathway, a menu of programs, if you like, for clubs and leagues around the country. So we start at that five to eight year old age group, with it's Disney Playmakers. And then we have three or four programs after that. The soccer sisters will obviously run over, over the Easter camp. So I kind of head them up and work with, as I said, the FBI, we've kind of split the country now into eight regions. We've eight regional managers and eight program coordinators. And I'm one of them. I'm the program coordinator for women's football. So I would link in with a lot of those regions and the clubs and, um, and other stakeholders around the country just to try to, to, to grow the game and, and retain retain players throughout. So look, I'm very lucky. Obviously, the women's game is a big passion of mine. I played it and, you know, I volunteered for a lot of years and I volunteered just to give back because the game has given me so much and then I end up getting a job in the FEI and I'm there now. Six years, very grateful to the FEI. You know, I work in football every day. I'm very, very happy and, it's a role I'm really enjoying. And look, the FBI have kind of always supported me as well. Being a women's national league player, I'm able to do both. And sometimes it would be tough. You're so busy and trying to balance both. But I've been very, very lucky and I'm really enjoying the job. I'm only in it since last January, so I'm in it over a year and a bit. Um, so I'm still learning, but I have to say I'm loving it.
2: We know the facilities are obviously an issue right around the country and, and that's a, a separate kind of day's work. But in, in terms of encouraging people to get out and coach and get involved, is that almost as important in terms of the player pathway and keeping players involved is that they actually they have enough coaches and they have enough support when they're going and showing up for training
5: yeah it looks massive isn't it I think in the women's game over the years all you want is that you know quality the respect to be treated the same you know to be you know to have the best coaches to have the best facilities and you know the, the women's game or your team not just being you know an extra add on and that's where I really think You know, what's changed around this country now. The women's game is really getting that respect, I feel. You know, clubs now are coming in. You know, we see it in the FEI now. Clubs are just, you know, being bombarded with, you know, um, female teams, young girls teams. But they're, they're putting a lot of time into it now, resources, people within the club who actually want to really do it and do it well. You know, getting that equal time slot, getting half a pitch, getting a full pitch. And that's the way it should be. And that's all you want as a female player. Um, and look even if it's playing coaching volunteering wherever it is that the opportunity's there the same opportunity and that you're you know you're getting them because you're good enough and it's you know it's kind of forgetting about that female and male thing you know
2: 100% Pearl great to have you with us this morning best of luck cheers
5: thank you cheers
2: it's Pearl Slattery there plays for Shelburne obviously works for the FAI as well um if you want to get involved in the conversation this morning, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, John Duncan, good morning to you. Darren Owen, how are we doing? Pretty good.
3: How are you? Not bad. Life is pretty good for you at the moment.
6: Ah uh, well, yeah,
4: okay.
3: So or does virtual insanity just cover over for a dreadful life or something? <laughs> I was thinking more Spurs and virtual insanity. Oh yeah, and,
2: and I don't. And I
6: don't want to, you know, tell everybody I'm a great fellow. So you guys can do that.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you missed yesterday, obviously, when um, Owen kind of vicariously takes credit for your virtual insanity because yeah, of, he backs it. Yeah, he's like, I, I won at the weekend. So. Yeah. So. Well,
6: well, the more people that are involved in the virtual insanity community, the better. So Owen has been welcomed into the pews of the uh, congregation, absolutely, with open arms and has uh,
3: taken communion every week. A WhatsApp group of mine gets a text usually around uh, 11 o'clock every Saturday night being like, um, Don Jogan's tips, guys. <laughs> Don. 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 Don Jogan is what? you're Your pseudonym in our group yeah. uh, and nobody else has, uh, has got on. So uh, they're pretty annoyed, I think. But, you know.
0: Yeah, it's
6: going is. well. Ryan Bram, 66 to 1. Not too bad in the Puerto Rico Open. I did say it was the bonus content last week, folks. If you read it on the OTV Sports app or on OTVSports.com. So look, the Arnold Palmer Invitational was a little bit unlucky. Matt Fitzpatrick was the headline tip, was one place out of the places, one shot out of the places, on tied for ninth. But uh, profit twenty three and a half percent. So not bad,
2: not bad at all. And before the weekend, you would have said Rory, but your luck, Rory.
6: Well, yeah, it's uh, worrying for him ahead of the Masters, lads, because I don't see him moaning about the course to be the right approach, Scotty Scheffler hung around and won. And Scotty Scheffler said on Sunday he didn't have his best and he just hung around and he won. And that's what you need to do sometimes. You need to play the percentages. And I felt there was too much emotion in what Rory was doing. And not for the first time in the last six months. We saw a couple of tournaments in Dubai where it just didn't go right for him. We had the rip shirt incident. And then we had the way Victor Hovland kind of just took him out of it at the Dubai Doe a classic when he hid in the water
2: and What like, was he doing ripping his shirt? I mean I know he's like it's not a big deal stop going on about it but what was he doing?
3: He was angry What was he doing ripping his own shirt? He, he was angry I mean there was nothing else to rip he didn't, maybe didn't have like a wedge to smash But
2: the snap wedge the ripped shirt that's not the zen master that he portrays himself to be No I think that Have that you that lads ever smashed anything? own clothes?
6: Have you ever smashed anything or in, in Aston Villa getting beaten or Kildare getting beaten Gerard?
2: I mean a
3: long time ago you know, a long, long, long time ago. But you grow out of these things, go right? On. No, not really. I used to. It's a happy moment. I think I dislocated my jaw once because uh, my I, I opened my mouth so wide after I think <laughs> I was at the Emirates. I think Arsenal I just scored <laughs> <laughs> a late winner we against. This is not true. I did. Yeah. What? Yeah. I had <laughs> a big crack in my mouth, and it was it was sore for a long, long did time. Did you to go to <gasps> the NHS? No, I didn't. I was like it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> You you dislocated your jaw smiling so much at, at Arsenal goal. Yeah, I think I was just like let out a roar and then It the <laughs> 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 just got stuck. Wow, yeah, okay. It just got opened up quite wide. But other than that, like I mean there's no that that was that was for positive reasons. Yeah. I've never, yeah. I've never I've never um I'm a lover not a fighter, you know, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't really throw anything or um, uh, smashing, <laughs> smashing a, a, a golf club. Were I right to be a top-class golf player. Okay, and, and have just, you never been that happy again in your life? It turns out no, right? Yeah, that was it. I used, I used up all my serotonin there and then. Okay, none, none left. Um, but the yeah, dislocatable but, celebratory jaw. Yeah, that's Owen's oh, <laughs> no. glass jaw. I've never heard of this. No, I, I thought that would be a common occurrence for many people. Strange, strange things happen when. um when, when good things common? happen spur- I don't know um, I didn't think it was that, that a spectacular thing to be honest but yeah no the answer to your question is no, no nothing in anger but like I, 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 I'm I, not overly like I, I think what you can read into Rory is that he has as you say proclaimed himself to be I forgot we were talking about Rory there a the, the stoic individual <laughs> and that th- this does fly in the face a little bit of that but uh, I wouldn't be overly worried about a professional sports person being angry with their own performance that's just a strange thing to rip your own clothes Maybe when you are that ripped, you're like, "I'm going to show everybody how ripped
2: I am." All that, all those hours in the gym need to be. You got another, plenty of
3: free clothes coming your way as well. Like it's not. <laughs> it's,
2: it wasn't about that. It's more the you know, just the, anyway. Yeah. Uh, also going on is. Um, Spurs are good at football again. Were yeah. Good, bad, bad, good, Don't good. play
6: twice in a week, I think, is the thing about Spurs at the moment. Maybe they're being um, really put under the gun in training by Antonio Conte because they've had a couple of flat performances against Burnley and Middlesbrough in between three very good performances, scoring, what, 12 goals against Manchester City, Leeds and Everton. Now, Everton were terrible last night. Absolutely terrible. But it was um, encouraging to see Matt Doherty.
2: Very encouraging.
6: Yeah, at wing back. And he says it's his... Reason why he's back at Spurs. Yeah, look, obviously that position I love. I think that's what like I said before that's the reason why why I'm at Tottenham. I was I was playing that position at Wolves and um was managing to get in at the back stick and, and create create chances and score goals. So um hopefully hopefully I can keep it up. Don't know what Jose was doing I'm playing him at the back four, but he's already got ahead of Emerson and the team. So Sessignon's got ahead of Reggian and darty has got ahead of Emerson and Antonio Conte praised him in his press conference last night, which was great to see. A little bit of a trickier night for Seamus Coleman, who was kind of caught for the first goal, uh, which Michael Hume put into his own net. And Everton's back four really struggled. Didn't have much protection either. And Frank Lampard has ascribed individual errors to the Toffees' defeat.
1: The main issues
3: tonight for me were football issues of, of uh, mistakes and you know bad defending
5: for the goals it's quite clear so um, and it wasn't just the, the, the defensive situations at the top end of the pitch we, were, we didn't show enough
3: um, and that was from the early part of the game even when we were in a relative control we still weren't looking like we were threatening their back line enough and, and taught them the way they play very organised
2: Up to you though Frank Do you sort it out? Yeah it is isn't it and I'm not sure he's going to be able to do it
6: The lucky thing for him is that Leeds are also in trouble um, can Jesse Marsh turn that around quickly defensively for Leeds also Burnley do find it hard to win as, as tough, difficult as, as they are sometimes to beat they're still in the drop zone Everton have games in hand on both Brentford I think will probably be okay uh, with Ivan Tony back in the team and scoring again so it's going to be fascinating but it's going to go down to the wire lads
2: who do you want to go down me yeah I, I think that it's time for Everton to go down <laughs> they've had their they've had their 1951. time
6: 1951 they had their time 1951 the last time Mayo were uh, sorry Everton were as a a <laughs> it was it actually 1951
3: what so, oh sorry <laughs> yeah it was just the Mayo thing
6: in my head there um, the last time Everton were relegated from the top flight of, right. a, of an English league um, who do I want to go down <sighs> Bernie boney because I said I predicted they would at the start of the year
2: see now they're, they're fighting the way they're fighting and they get good results against the good teams and Sean Dyche is a miracle worker like I would like to see Sean Dyche at a club that has some money to see what he could do. Because yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's wedded to caveman football because uh, he believes that that's the only way to play football. I think it's... I don't know.
6: The thing with Everton is, I'm kind of conflicted in that I really like, having been to Goodison Park, I really like the vibe, I like the community aspect of Everton. I, I think they're a really big club for the community in Liverpool. But you could do... Um, MBAs or MBSs on um, university business studies on how not to run a business, which is Everton has been chronically run by horrific decisions to spend 500 million pounds and have a
2: club in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. They're like a, a, a lower rent Manchester United yeah. with the profligacy and waste. Yeah. It's, it's just
6: awful uh, business practice from like technical directors or anybody in an executive level the transfer policy the whole thing and it's underplayed in football because um, clubs just because they pump money in seem to be beyond scrutiny of that kind of thing but it's uh, it's, it's shocking Liverpool on the other hand a well-run club 2-0 up against Inter ahead of the second leg of their Champions League last 16 match tonight Thiago and Joel Matip might return Bar Munich and Salzburg tied at a goal apiece ahead of their game Nottingham Forest into the FA Cup quarterfinals they will play Liverpool now after a 2-1 win over Huddersfield. The Championship action tonight, six matches involving the leaders, Fulham as well, going to Swansea, Blackburn Rovers, hoping for a promotion push versus Millwall, Barnsley, Stoke, Bournemouth, Peterborough, Coventry, Luton and Sheffield United, Middlesbrough. Mickey Moran, according to the Irish News, has stepped down as manager of uh, Kilcoo, uh, the down club that won the All-Ireland under his uh, guidance there last month against kilcoo Crokes in extra time, so... Uh, That is uh, disappointing for Kilku, but he he did his job there. Sad news about Franco Farrell, uh, the Cork native, 94 years of age, has passed away. Uh, The only Irishman to ever manage Manchester United came in permanently after Matt Busby and it was difficult with Busby still at the club to put his own stamp on it. Only lasted 18 months, but also led Leicester to an FA Cup final in 1969, managed Iran in the mid-70s, played for Cork United, West Ham and Preston. I'm still... In shock as well, lads, about Shane Warren. That was just awful news a few days ago. And Ricky Ponting did a very nice uh, piece with the ICC YouTube channel um, on his friend and his former teammate. Uh, it's, it's a tough watch, but it's, uh, it's worth it. Of uh, memories of a great Australian who uh, was a rock star for international sport.
2: 100%. So we're going to hear from Matt Williams and Shane Warren in just a moment, actually. The next episode of Virtual Insanity is on tomorrow?
6: It is. The Players' Championship, lads. I don't know if you enjoy that tournament um, this week. It's It's one of the best... Spectacles because you remember that Island Green, the 17th with the water and uh, a real test of nerves. And I think it's a very equitable tournament in that you've had some strange winners uh, in terms of unheralded players, Fred Funk, Stephen Ames and Craig Perks, to the other extent where you have had Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy all winning it. It's very much a level playing field. I think Shane Larry is coming into the tournament in great form. We can't forget him. Um, it's going to be a wet and windy week in Florida
2: at Sawgrass. But yeah, um, I've already made my decisions and I'll reveal them tomorrow. Excellent. All right, looking forward to that. otbsports.com forward slash virtual insanity. That is uh, John Duggan P you today. You can read more from John on otbsports.com, and you can uh, subscribe to the Breakfast Briefing every day, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the Highlights feed on uh, the OTB Sports app. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold is the life and times of Johnny Kilbane. Kilbane? Kilbane. He yeah, he would have been called Kilbane, wouldn't he? Dadcast at three, career retrospective is Andy Moran. For OTB Gold tonight at 6 is Barry Ryan and the show is live with Joe from 7 this evening. Uh, up next we're going to hear Matt Williams paying tribute to Shane Warren and we're back talking football with the league after that. OTB AM OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, some comments for you. David's been back in touch to say baseball is a herding of the masses to six hours of light beer and crappy music. And shame of rounders that they get paid millions for. And Jer, I grew up in Newbridge. South Carolina is pretty decent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, It sounds heavenly. Uh, thanks very much for staying up for us this evening. Uh, Bobby says, Spurs were great last night, especially Kane, Doherty and Kulievski. Huge game on Saturday. The It's Tottenham line is getting old 20 years later. We beat them 6-1 in this fixture last season. Is that uh, Bobby a resident Spurs fan?
3: Yeah. Getting pissed off with the it's Spurs, Spursy lads. It's Tottenham. I thought I thought Roy Keane was going to go there on Sunday because he did mention what their next fixture was for Manchester United, but even he couldn't bring himself to say it. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, why is there never discussion by sports journalists around the UFC when it is
2: pushing women's sport better than most? asks Michael. Well, we did have the uh, two combatants who were um, in the, uh, the in the not the ring. At the tree arena in the cage. The octagon. Oh, the octagon. Sorry,
3: awesome.
2: <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Phil's here to to save us. Yeah, um, lots of LGFA clubs are combos of different GA clubs. As Paul, healthy collaboration between local GA clubs will be the key to making LGFA merger a success. Yeah, I mean, divisional teams might be the way forward for um, strong women's teams, and then they'll get to share in the facilities from both clubs and it'll improve both clubs it's like a you know there's definitely ways forward here until they're both ready to have their own teams anyway Phil good morning to you how are you how you doing lads Uh, the return of the uh, Champions League this evening um, uh, on the face of it two should be fairly straightforward results that we expect to go through but is there any way that Bayern Munich might
1: not go through tonight Uh, it'd be a major shock I I know in the first leg Salzburg obviously were, were a goal up and they had a chance to go 2-0 2-0 up and they they missed it and obviously Bayern got their equaliser you'd imagine Bayern will just be too good for them at home um, in terms of the Liverpool game the fact that there's no away goals can you see Inter winning by three goals tonight it's very unlikely I think Liverpool will try and get the obviously the first goal is going to decide a lot but if Liverpool do get the first goal then I, I think Klopp would like to be in a position maybe where he'll be able to use well he has his five subs which he'll he'll probably use and that's pretty much what won him the first leg, those changes in the second half at the San Siro three weeks ago. And he he talked about it yesterday as well, saying that it's great that you can use your five subs. Obviously it's something that he keeps going on about that the Premier League haven't allowed this and um he he'd have one eye on the, the half twelve kick off on Saturday against Brighton because If they could get an early goal, maybe even get a second goal against Inter and get this done, you can take off players. But the squad depth has improved so much and obviously they've got uh, players coming back as well. So, yeah, I'd be very surprised if if Liverpool were knocked out tonight. It's just a case of just keep things going. I think one thing actually watching them the other day against West Ham, there was a few hairy moments, but just maybe at times the, the front three, as good as they are, just we're taking the wrong option at times I think Diaz has been sensational since he came in and we talked about him at the time he was getting lined up for for Spurs and when we looked at him we said you could see him fitting into the Liverpool front three on the left hand side and that's exactly what he's done I know he scored the goal against Norwich you just feel that if he scores a goal say in a big game like tonight you could have the real lift off for Diaz between now and the end of the season where Every time he gets the ball, he's going to shoot and, and score. That's the only thing that hasn't happened yet. The goals haven't come, but he's just fitted in there so seamlessly. It's does um, like to take shots, doesn't he? He does. And he comes so close. Even against West Ham the other day, there was one where you just thought it was going to curl inside the post, but it just stayed outside. So he has that where he cuts in you know what he's going to do, but you just can't stop him.
2: Are his new teammates happy for him? Always to shoot as often as he's yeah, shooting.
1: I, I think. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely like <clears throat> there, there was moments. At the other day, yeah, but they all were guilty of it. Jota had one later on in the game where he had come on and he fired one high and wide, but his uh, left yeah. foot into the corner.
2: it's going to be an amazing goal.
1: So, and look, Salah is obviously an absolute machine in terms of goals. Why does he score so many goals? Because he has that streak in him where. When he he gets into position, he ain't passing. He's going to shoot.
3: Fabinho is out doing press before tonight's game. He says that this team is better than the Liverpool team that won the title, won the Champions League. Is he right?
1: I think so. I I, I can see where he's coming from. Obviously, the, the squad is better as well. It'll be interesting to see if Thiago starts tonight. Now he's back from injury. Thiago is a sensational footballer. But at the moment... Liverpool just don't see him enough and I think the the League Cup final summed it all up from where you were looking at Thiago starting the the Carabao Cup final and then he's a late withdrawal and in Fernand Naby Keita come in and did a really good job and that's the, the frustration for Liverpool fans is they watch this guy play and he's unbelievable and he just hasn't been available enough when he's available Liverpool fans are purring at the side of him just running games and Look, people will look at his stats. I think Pep Guardiola touched on something interesting last week when he was talking about players. Sometimes you just have to look at them. You don't have to... I know stats play a very important role in, in football, and but sometimes stats, people can look at them too much, where surely your eyes don't lie. You just look at a player and think, unbelievable footballer. Like When you look at Thiago, it's where he gives the ball away. He can control the tempo of the game. That's exactly why Liverpool bought him, but... Unfortunately they just haven't had them available enough
3: Thiago and Fabinho How many games do you think that they've lost While playing together for Liverpool? Zero You, you read that already didn't you? But that's the thing Ru- ruining the game Phil
1: Sorry, <laughs> Sorry do it again uh, <laughs> I thought it was a quiz thought, oh, yeah.
3: No actually it's, it's zero Wow uh, Incredible right? Never would have guessed that Played each other Played together how many times I wonder? Is, is, is this a, like I mean uh, as you pointed out there the lack of availability has sometimes been a, a bit of an issue but uh, it's still a pretty impressive stat
1: yeah and I, I think when Tiago's available it's Fabinho Thiago plus one and at the moment it's Henderson but I, I definitely think of all the units in the Liverpool squad and, and, and starting 11 the midfield is the one where they'd have to add to in the summer I think they could also do with what, what's worked really well with, didn't really get to see that much last season was
2: Simicast so he's been very. As well. your mic is this? As it was, that was my ears. Sorry, your mic is is uh, playing up there. We might um, try and grab you a new mic. Uh, so I was like, is there something on
3: my ears? Uh,
2: but yeah, but there probably is as well. It yeah. could, could be both. Well, you see the um, the latest research on COVID says that it's uh, damaging the brains of middle aged people.
3: So was it only middle aged people? I, I didn't see. Yeah, so. you're, oh, you're okay. in the clear. You're
2: grand. Oh, thank God. Yeah, because yeah. you're like late twenties now.
3: Yeah, exactly. And um, Once you get to the, to the early thirty, <laughs> oh, Maybe <laughs> It's uh, yeah, a bit of a storm Coming into your ears this morning it seems um, Oh it's after the thunder yesterday The storm today Yeah exactly uh, But so yeah no. So do you think that's it Covid Lo- Long Th- Covid That it would explain a hearing? lot
2: That's going on in my head at the moment Have you got brain fog? Uh, yeah uh, Inability to remember names Words Has that not always been an issue for you? I mean look Owen What goes on behind the curtain Was supposed to remain there <laughs> Thanks very much for that <laughs> Showing yeah. how the sausage gets made. Nobody needs to see that. Uh, yeah,
3: but it's worse. It's definitely more pronounced. Right. Well, just to hope you recover. Like maybe it's uh maybe maybe it'll just leave your brain eventually, COVID, and and you'll be fine. Look look at me speculating on science. Come like, on, Yeah, like I know what I'm talking just about. Tweet that there, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then go on a, a long period where you argue with everybody about it. Yeah,
3: that would and be it's good. good for your brain. I actually never did that during COVID. I never never felt the self confidence to do it, but. Um now that now the covid's over yeah now, now i now feel that, that i, I, I could else. i could have the conference to become a a bit of an immunologist. An expert. An expert, sorry. Yeah, exactly. All right, if anybody wants to get in
2: touch, 0879, 180, How excited are the Liverpool fans out there? Is this team better than... I mean, Fabinho would know, but maybe that's what you have to say. Are they better? Phil, I think you might be back.
1: I think I'm back, am I? Yeah, you're am I back. back? Yeah, I don't know what happened there. But, um,
2: um, the one thing about the team being better now than then is that Van Dijk is not at World Footballer of the Year level, right? Which, like, however the rest of the team has improved and the strength and depth has improved and they've got, you know, they've added players in who are better than the subs they would have had then. Like, Fertz van Dijk was the best footballer in the world. He didn't win. He should have uh, for a 12-month period. They don't have that at the moment, so they're, I would argue, not quite as good.
1: Yeah, but he's very close to it. He's he's not far off at all and he's still, I would say he's still going to have a chance of getting back to that because the injury... it was such a serious injury and he talked about just getting his confidence back um, mentally as well knowing that if somebody has a run at him that he has the, the legs and the, the the confidence to go with them and actually think back to the, the first leg a few weeks ago when Lautaro Martinez got the ball and he just Van Dijk was standing in front of him and he almost just Submit it, and just turned away. and said, "I can't, I can't take this guy on." But I think as well, what's what's complemented the Van Dijk as well. Obviously, Matip is now available, so the, that central defensive partnership. Even Kanate came in the other day against West Ham. I thought he was excellent because Antonio was a handful from, and there was one moment in the the first half of the game where the two of them were going full tilt, chasing a ball back towards the cop end, and. Canata showed just how quick he is but no, Van Dijk's distribution is, is still a, a key component in Liverpool's attack the way he can just spank a ball 50 yards and pick out Trent Alexander-Arnold out on the right or if it's Mo Salah so if he never gets back to his 10 out of 10 he, he might be a 9 or a 9.5 he's still the best centre half in the Premier League
2: yeah, it doesn't feel like he's back at that level yet, and that's a fair point. Maybe he will get back to that, but there is a possibility that, a, that the injury took a, like a tiny bit away from him. I guess the the counter argument then is that Trent has got better, that Robertson has got better, that you know the supporting cast is 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 better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Alexander Arnold in particular, and. Uh, Robertson and said so that that push that he's got off Simicast knowing that there's an able deputy there and I think Liverpool just probably would, could do with that on the right hand side because if Trent Alexander Arnold's not there they've obviously played Milner there before they've played Gomez Conor Bradley is an up and coming young player but just not at that level that... Yeah, okay. In the
2: final 40 seconds, is Frank Lampard
1: taking Everton down? I don't know what, I'm looking at those fixtures. It's a dangerous game when you play the will-they-won't-they win, but what they do have is they've seven home games left of their 13 and they've won five from 12 at Goodison. They've only won one away game all season, so... Their, their home form, if they stay up, it's all down to that. Now, looking at some of the home games, the, the next two home games, the Wolves and Newcastle games, could decide a lot. Wolves, I watched that game earlier in the season where Wolves battered them in the first half in particular. And then Newcastle. So if they picked up a win from one of those two games, then they're probably maybe on their way to avoiding relegation. It's, I, it's, it's really what Burnley do. But Burnley have that in them. Burnley have a fight in them. Yes, do Everton have it?
3: No. Leeds lads, I'm telling you.
2: No, like it. Yeah. There's, there's, there is a uh, slow car crash unfolding before our eyes. We will uh, await with bated breath the outcome. Feel good stuff. Thanks, many for that. Thanks, lads. Right. Um, you want to get involved this morning? OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You can subscribe to the OTB football feed search for OTB football and hit subscribe if you want more or all indeed of our football coverage. Our post reaction from the Eddie headed Ed Brian Kerr, everything from the football show, the football Saturday this week which was Jack Byrne and all of those other football pieces as well. We've got football with Nathan Murphy and Graham Hunter on tomorrow's show. We're going to cross over to Palestine to hear about the Irish in Gaza who are building a gym much more as well. OTB AM With Gillette.
5: Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with Exfoliating Bar.